Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Think Now Research Podcast. This is our monthly podcast in which we go over our most recent report. Think Now Research is a culturally integrated market research agency. We integrate Hispanic, African American, and Asian insights into custom market research for companies and government agencies looking to thrive in a changing demographic environment. You can find us on the web at thinknowresearch.com and on Twitter at thinknowtweets. My name is Mario Carrasco. I'm the co-founder and principal of Think Now Research, and I'm here today with the founder and CEO of Lantigua Williams & Co., Juleka Lantigua Williams. Juleka, you have an incredible background. Please tell us about your background and your company. Hi, Mario. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited for our conversation because it basically brings together all of the things that I've done in my 20 years in journalism. So I started out uh, in New York City working in a very niche market uh, for a publication called Urban Latino, and basically wanted to tell all of the non-stereotypical stories about Latinos, about how they were aspiring and achieving. And from there, basically my entire career has led me to chronicle and study and write about how the U.S. is becoming, you know, a truly plural country and how in the next 30 years we're going to be, uh, you know, majority-minority country. And so I've edited books about us. I have led multiple reporting teams at Next America, at The Atlantic, at NPR. I was uh, most recently the lead editor and producer of Code Switch. So I've spent my entire career basically looking at how it is that people of color are changing the U.S. in all types of ways. And after that, I've decided to branch out on my own, uh, which was a really big leap, but really exciting. And pretty much there's no looking back for me. I think I found um, nirvana in terms of professional satisfaction and continuing to define and produce work in that mission, which is the mission to really bring about information that is uh, impactful to people to understand how it is that the U.S. is changing thanks to, you know, the demographic drive that, that, it's, uh, that it's undergoing. So we just started out this summer. Uh, we're principally focused on podcasts right now, and we're developing podcasts uh, for a couple of national organizations, and I can't tell you yet because they want to, you know, unveil them on their own time. But that's that's really exciting. I'm, I'm also involved in some film projects. Um, so having so much fun, working really hard, but having so much fun. No, that's awesome. And um, yeah, I, I, we're, we're really happy that you joined us. Thank you for um, accepting our invitation. And I'm sure the podcasts are going to be awesome. I, I was geeking out when I saw on Twitter that you were one of the lead producers on Code Switch, NPR. That's like one of my favorite uh, podcasts, so I'm sure whatever you put out is going to be great. Thanks. Yeah, Code Switch, I, I told the team when I joined, I was like, I'm a fan. And so it might take me a while, you know, to not be basically <laughs> fangirling over being in the same room with you. <laughs> I'd be the same way. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was actually at... Um, I recorded a segment for NPR Latino, although I don't think they're 
some there was some uh, switches in the reporters, but yeah, I was at the NPR Latino there in Brooklyn like last month, and I was like geeking out just just being there, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, great. Well, let's um for those of you listening in, um this month we're gonna be going over our Think Now Voice report. We're gonna explore how multicultural consumers are adopting smart speaker technology um, in the U.S. And to Jaleka's point, you know, as a company, we like to see, you know, we know that multicultural consumers are the future or really the now um, in terms of consumers. And so we like to take these emerging technologies, trends, and look at it from a data perspective to see what what's emerging. Um, so for those of you that want to follow along, uh, feel free to go to thinknowresearch.com to our download section. You can pod the, pause the podcast now, download and follow along. If not, we're going to have a conversation, try to uh, make the data as visual as possible for you all. Um, so we're going to jump right into slide six. Um, you know, before diving into the different segments, the different kind of consumers, we just took a look at the total market. So um, everybody, whites, Hispanic, African-Americans, and, you know, asked if uh, you or someone in your home uh, owned the following voice-controlled products. So we looked at the top ones, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, and uh, other voice-controlled products. I think Sonos is coming out with one, but it's powered by Alexa. Um, and so we saw roughly 30% of households have a smart speaker product. Um, and right now, based on our research, it looks like Amazon Alexa's in the lead, 21% of the total market saying they have Amazon Alexa versus 14% Google Home and then 4% other uh, voice-controlled products. I know, Juleka, when we were talking about this, you'd mentioned that your family owns uh, a smart speaker. Which one do you all own? We have Alexa, and she's basically our pet. You know, like we don't have an actual pet, but she's become such an important part of our family. And you know, it's really funny because we are the quintessential new American family. So I'm Dominican. I'm an immigrant. Um, grew up, you know, came when I was 10, grew up in the Bronx, went to New York City public schools, and I rep for New York always, right? My husband is Nigerian, came to the U.S. to go to college, an engineer with a master's, runs his own company, and we are very proud to be hyphenated Americans. And then we've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, two boys, who are growing up understanding the multiplicity of who they are. Right. So it makes absolute sense that we're listening to salsa, Mark Anthony, Juan Luis Guerra in Spanish, and then we're rocking out to Salakuti, right? Because <laughs> this is the household that we're in. And anytime, you know, mom and dad make some old school reference to something, we literally say, Alexa, play this song. And suddenly, you know, like we've introduced Huma Sakela to our sons, right? What eight-year-old do you know who knows about Huma Sakela, right? But we've also introduced, you know, other concepts to them that we can just immediately get some sort of synopsis from Alexa. So it's been great for that. And then we also have amazing dance-offs, right? <laughs> yeah. So we were all into dancing. And so, you know, we'll challenge one another to a dance-off, and each person gets to pick the song that the other person dances to. So we just have a blast. And, oh, the other thing that I've done um, – Parents, take a, take a cue from this. This will save you hours of life. I've actually automated timeout 
because Alexa can set timers. So now <laughs> nice. I just tell my children how long their timeout has to be, and they ask Alexa to set the timer. And they sit there until Alexa says that, that, that the time has been complete. <laughs> so I no longer have to supervise timeout. That is a that's a funny visual of a of your child, you know, talking to Alexa, say set the timer for five minutes, and then yeah. standing in the corner until they tells her they could be done. That's good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds like it sounds like a, a lot of music, which is really interesting because as we dive into the data, we didn't ask how they were using it. Um, we we really kind of went high level because we didn't know what the responses were going to be like. But the fact that your story was kind of focused around music is really telling because we've done previous research. Um, we've actually done some research with Google. Um, Latinos are one of the largest drivers of streaming music online, especially on YouTube. So that, you know, I, as I was looking at this data, I, I was trying to think, you know, what, what are the cultural drivers, right? I mean, and we'll look at the other slides, you know, we see that African Americans, Asians and Hispanics are really driving smart speaker adoption. I'm like, what is that? Um, I think music plays a big part in it. I think also we cannot discount the fact that we come from very strong oral traditions and, you know, Latinos are stereotypically known for being big talkers. You know, and it's kind of true. We, vast amounts of our communications happen orally and histories and um, all kinds of things are handed down in that way. And, you know, there is nothing like getting three Latinos together. That's an instant party, right? Like that's <laughs> what I call it. And I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but I think that smart technology has in a way allowed us to go back to some of the fundamental ways that culturally we communicate. And I think the same is true with African Americans who have a very rich history of oral traditions going back to the time when they were not allowed, you know, the enslaved people were not allowed to learn to read and were severely punished for it. And so all of the key information had to be handed down and passed across generations and geographies orally. And so I think that this technology in a way has reversed course in a very positive ways that that are in very positive ways that allow us to take advantage of those very, very strong ties that were forged through oral traditions uh, that we have. But in my household, for example, I get my news brief every morning, right? So I'm the first one to come down. I put my little Bustelo cafecito on. And I mean, literally, I'm, I, I sound like a stereotype, but I do drink Bustelo every morning. <laughs> and then I say, good morning, Alexa. What's my news brief? This is exactly what I do every single morning, you know? And my husband has been traveling a lot um, in the last few months. And so he'll come down with his suitcase and then he'll get the latest weather to wherever he's headed, you know, just so that he's sort of like you know, psychologically prepared for when he lands. And so it's become a really important tool um, for us. It's got playlists for us. It's got it's synced to my Google calendar. I've got a shopping list on there for my Amazon and I can replenish things in the house without having to use my phone now, which is great because, you know, I'm... What do I call? I have a funny name that I give myself. I'm oh, I'm chief acquisitions officer in my house. <laughs> so basically, I do all the shopping, right? Yeah. But you know, to make myself feel a little bit better, so chief acquisitions officer now has a virtual assistant called Alexa, and she can just say, 
you know, Alexa, reorder whatever it is that I need. Um, that's a common item. So it's become really, really important. That's great. I, I love that connection you made to oral tradition. I mean, because I was thinking about that too in terms of user interface, right? Voice is the most natural that we've come up with, uh, but it's particularly resonant among multicultural consumers because of that oral tradition. That's that's a really good connection. Um, you know, what, one thing though to point out too, and that I'm sure you 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 have uh, some insight here as well on slide seven. Um, it's kind of a duh, but maybe not. But smart speakers are most popular <laughs> among younger consumers. Um, Eighteen to yeah. thirty-four year olds twice as likely to own a Google Home, for example, compared to thirty-five to sixty-four. Um, but the thing that I want to point out here, right, is that the youth market is multicultural, right? I mean. As you go down, you know, to millennials, Gen Z, I don't know, what are they calling the next generation? I heard something like double A, we're going to like restart, but, um, you know, we're, <laughs> um, we're, we're, it's multicultural, right? So um, part of it is just being younger, but part of it is also that, you know, why are multicultural consumers driving this adoption? It's just that the youth market is multicultural. Absolutely. I think the other thing is that uh, technology is rapidly moving toward utilizing biometrics and things that humans naturally do in order for us to interface with them. And so millennials, for example, are essentially the first generation in which they could, they could, go through an entire day without touching any machine or anything, right? So think about it. They walk out of their apartment, right, and they can speak to a car to turn itself on if they, you know, if they can afford a car that can do that, but there are cars that do that, right? There are other cars that read their biometric signature to unlock themselves as they're approaching, right? If they're in a, self, in a car that can drive itself, they can just tell the car where it needs to go. When they get to the office, they can have an entirely automated system in which you tell the elevator what floor you're going to, uh, your iris is used to get into your locked office, then your computers are all voice activated, right? So there is an expectation uh, that there is an inevitability of a person being able to go through an entire day without actually having to touch a machine to get whatever they need that machine to do, to do it. No, uh, let's do that. There's an expectation that a person will be able to go through an entire day without having to physically touch a machine to get the machine to do what they want them to do. And I think that for me, I'm Generation X, I am still surprised, right? Whenever I encounter, you know, news about a machine that can do that, I'm still surprised by that. Whereas millennials just kind of go, well, duh, that's where we're headed anyway, right? So they're, they're not surprised at all. Let me tell you a story about the next generation, which is my sons, right? So my six-year-old, about three years ago, we got a new flat screen TV. This is, so then he was three. The first thing he did when we got it out of the box and put it on the console, he went and touched the screen <laughs> because he thought that was how you would turn it on. Yeah. This was a three-year-old. 
Why? Because the only machines that he'd ever, flat screen machines that he'd interacted with were our smartphones and our iPads. So he saw flat screen, okay, that means I have to touch it to turn it on. And that moment to me was so significant because I realized a fundamental difference between how I grew up and how my children expect me to raise them, right? So for me, that was a wake-up moment of, okay, mom, you really need to step your game up because what, these, what your boys are taking for granted are things that you're still adjusting to. And I think this new generation, I mean, and also we have to recognize that we're essentially in beta testing. I mean, Amazon, Google, they're doing amazing things, but they're essentially beta testing these technologies. I'm sure that already in their internal super secret labs, they've got things that are three generations ahead that are just not market ready. And so we humans are being the test dummies right now. But if you think about the fact that, for example, Mark Zuckerberg decided that this year was the year, his goal for this year was to uh, create a smart home, and he's actually doing the coding himself, that's also a harbinger of things to come, right? Where it is going to be completely normal for, you know, in, oh, my God, he's going to graduate college in, in what, 17 years? No, less, in 15 years for my son to graduate college and, you know, for him to rent a smart apartment when he gets his first job, right, where the door will open when he recognizes that it's him and all the lights will be preset, the heat and temperature will be preset, the, you know, the automatic crock pot or whatever the equivalent is going to be will have started dinner an hour ahead. You know, if he wants to take a shower when he gets home because he just had a workout right after work, then the shower will be the right temperature. Like, these are all things that are coming, right? And as he's brushing his teeth at night, he'll get the news in the mirror. Those mirrors already exist that can be uh, embedded with plasma capabilities. And so um, this iteration of voice-activated machines is an introduction of what is going to be possible and expected, right? Because I think that this is the other thing, that as much as we marvel at these machines, right, and they are machines, as much as we marvel at these machines, what we're also doing is creating an expectation. Already I complain sometimes about Alexa when I ask her for something and she's like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're asking for. (laughs) And I say to myself, are you serious? You're complaining because the machine who essentially can answer a billion questions, didn't understand what you said. And it was just, invent- it. Was just invented like this exactly. year. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it's like two years ago. Right, exactly. I mean, but that's the expectation that we're creating, you know? Well, let, let me ask you on this, and I'm going to, I want to point out one data point, but I, I want to ask you a question um, to your point about the kind of the smart future. So, um, Slide eight, we see that African-Americans and Asians most likely to own a smart speaker now. Interestingly, white consumers are the least likely to have Google Home in their household. And one thing I grapple with or I think about is tech companies, and I'm generalizing, there are tech companies that do, you know, that are investing in understanding the multicultural consumer. But, um, you know, we see the data is there. It's being adopted by youth that are multi that are majority multicultural we see even overall majority multicultural 
how do you think that um, tech companies are or should be kind of adapting their technologies to a multicultural consumer? Or is that a non-point? So, for example, oh, that's a hugely important point. Yeah. And because and, and, like I think about the future, you know, I think about my kids, my kids are multicultural. Um, you know, so my, I'm Mexican-American. My wife's from Sri Lanka. Um, and so, you know, tech has a huge influence in our world that we don't really see, yes. but it's massively influential. And so, you know, as our kids get smart homes and technology becomes more integrated, the tech, let's be real, isn't being developed by multicultural consumers or multicultural people, right? So like what... If tech companies are only thinking about us as consumers, they completely miss the point. I mean, just this week, a new study, and there have been multiple studies, a new study showed that machines are essentially imprinted with the same biases as the people who program them, right? Like there isn't a way to wipe the biases from the algorithm, right? So so now that we know this, we need to think about who is actually designing, programming, testing, and rolling out these machines, these technologies, right? Because if we are going to basically duplicate the things that we've been fighting against, the stereotypes, the biases, the, the racial um, profiling, and we're just going to add those to the machines, then we've actually done nothing in terms of real progress. All well, we've I... done is find a way to duplicate ourselves. And so it starts with hiring. Right? And, it, and it's and yeah, so, and, and it's and it's even scarier than duplicating but it, ourselves. Right, but because, it's even before hiring, right? Yeah, yeah. The these companies have to create a basically they have to create a talent chain, right? Because it's not about getting the most multicultural set of interviewees, right? That by again by that point it's too late, right? So for example, we know already and this is a proven fact, we know that pre-kindergarten, preschool education is the most important educational barrier to generational change. It is the most important educational barrier to future educational attainment, right? Now, I'm not saying that VCs need to not go fund pre-K. That's not what I'm saying. But companies like Amazon, companies like Google, companies like Facebook have incredible, incredible uh, power. So if you think about the fact that um, Amazon is now shopping around for their HQ2 headquarters, right, and they've got, you know, this whole uh, request for proposals with a very, very significant list of requests, and they got over 230. 38, I think it is, don't quote me on that number, but it's over 200 submissions from cities who are just biting their nails waiting to be selected. Imagine if someone like Amazon who is saying that they're going to bring in, you know, 50,000 jobs and, you know, billions of dollars in tax revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine if they also said to those places, and we demand a robust pre-K educational system in the public schools. Right? Imagine if every company who goes into a county to get tax incentives and other incentives to bring their talent and their innovation to that place also said, and by the way, 
you need to increase your sixth grade reading and math scores by 25% in the first five years, right? Because this is the other parameter that we're not looking at. Sixth grade is the make or break grade for American students in public schools. So a tech company that's only thinking about blacks, Latinos, and Asians, the future consumers of everything, right? And only thinking about us in terms of the hiring process has completely missed the point. And more importantly, they've set themselves up to compete for those very few talented people with companies that are much bigger than them. That's and a... so this is the other problem that we've got. Yeah. That if you've got a hundred people who are qualified for the job, and let's say on average, 15 to 20 of them are people of color, they have way more options. And so the smaller, medium-sized tech companies are not going to be able to compete with the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of the world. They're just not. And so this is why they've got to make sure that there is a talent chain that is being nurtured, not by them directly, but that they can use their influence and leverage that influence to make places sort of like prepare the road for their own growth, right? Because it costs a lot less to recruit someone who lives locally than someone who lives five states over, you know? And the incentives, the incentives you have to offer that person to relocate are not the same, you know, as someone who can just change the train station that they take the, you know, the train to, to go to work. Um, and so I think it's, there's just a lack of forethought in terms of preparing the way uh, for future generations of Americans. And let's face it, we're going through a massive um, era of the browning of America, you know, and the quicker these tech companies realize that their future employee, their future investor, their future consumer, it's probably going to be a brown woman on average. Right now, uh, African-American women are, by cohort, uh, the ones that earn the most PhDs. Uh, Latinas, more than double, you know, the number of graduates as compared to uh, Latino men. African-American women are also earning more bachelor's degrees than black men. Asian-American women, forget about it. They completely... Um, not overrepresent, but outpace all of the other women of color in terms of the representation in the medical sciences, in technology, right? And so in all likelihood, a company should be zeroing in on how to nurture the brown woman consumer and the brown woman employee. But starting, literally, they need to start in preschool and work with, you know, localities and um, partners so they can have this talent chain and this future consumer chain um, ready for when they, they're ready to meet them. Now, that's a really good point um, because, yeah, you got to look at both sides of the spectrums, right? And, and like you mentioned, there is no way for those smaller companies to compete, and that has really big implications for, for communities. Um, and, and, and bringing that around full circle, actually, um, you know, we saw – Asian and African Americans most likely to own it, own the smart speaker and technology. But then you look kind of um, more in the back of the funnel, kind of who's looking to purchase this holiday season. And it's majority, um, you know, Latinos, um, African American and Asians and actually non-Hispanic whites are the least likely to say that they're going to purchase smart speakers. So, I mean, the future 
in this instance and then what you're talking about definitely multicultural oh but that also makes sense in terms of average incomes um asian you know the average asian american actually makes more money than the average uh white american and they definitely make more money than the average latino and the average uh black consumer and so it makes sense that they would have already purchased um and that the others are looking forward to purchasing, right? Because some of these larger purchases, I mean, the iPhone is like $800. I mean, even I, you know, supposedly a middle-class Latina, there's no way I can just walk up to a store right now and be like, oh, I'll have that iPhone. I'd have to prepare for that purchase. And so I think that there's a lot of that happening that we're, as a cohort, we're still not at the point where on average, we can't just put down our Amex and pay for something. I think a lot of us, especially in the working class, we will we will definitely make the purchase, but it usually merits a special occasion, a birthday, a holiday, an anniversary, things like that. We tend to save those kind of big expenditures for these special occasions. And so that definitely tracks with what I know about the economic um, habits of Latinos and African Americans. Oh, no, that and that's 100% true, and that's something in our industry that people don't talk about for some reason, but I think it's important to put out there is that you got to put it in perspective in terms of average household income uh, because it has mm-hmm. implications for purchase, future purchase, what you're not going to purchase, price points for these companies. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and believe it or not, we are we, we hit our time. Um, so thank you very much. This was a great conversation. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, if you want to download the report, please go to thinknowresearch.com. You can follow us at thinknowtweets on Twitter. Um, we're also on LinkedIn, uh, our LinkedIn page, Think Now Research. Juleka, if people want to follow you on social media, follow your company, how do we find you online? Juleka Lantigua, it's on Twitter, and L-A-N-W-I-L-C-O, Land Will Co., also on Twitter. And you can always check out our website, lantiguawilliams.com. I'm happy to hear from you. Great. Thanks again for joining us, Julenka. Thank everyone for listening. Please keep an eye out for our next report coming out next month in December. We're going to actually be doing a retrospective of all the reports that we've done in 2017, um, also giving a sneak peek on what what's new that we're going to be publishing in 2018. And thanks again, everyone. Mm-hmm.